coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Actually, my grandfather bought it sight unseen. It was a it was a mining claim. Like this area was kind of developed back in the late 1800s. It was a mining claim. It was patented in 1896, and he ended up buying it sight unseen. And him and I come by boat to look at it one day. Do you remember what he paid for it? He paid five thousand dollars for it. Yeah, he bought it in '62, and we opened. Yeah, I'm 63. Yeah, 63. And what, if you were to sell it, you know, you probably don't want to ever sell it. But if you were to sell it, you get more than five grand out of that thing, probably. Yeah, probably. I might double my money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was Terry Kluke taking us back to the start of Merkel's camp, world record musky pike, in a family tradition. Today on the Wet Fly Swing podcast. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how you doing today? Thanks for stopping by the show. Is there a show topic that uh, you'd love to hear us dig into more? Maybe something that we've done in the past that we haven't heard in a while? I want to make sure I'm uh, getting that out to you. So if you can, you can send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Bear Vault, who has the perfect solution to keep your provisions secure while heading into the backcountry. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash bearvault right now to check out this must-have solution to keep your food safely stored while in the backcountry. That's Bear Vault, B-E-A-R-V-A-U-L-T. We're also sponsored by Fishhound Expeditions, putting together remote Alaskan wilderness trips for that trip of a lifetime. We're going to be heading up there really soon and going to be mousing for rainbows, chasing some salmon, doing it all while on the river kicking back. So I'm going to be excited to share this one with you. If you want to check out Fishhound right now, wetflyswing.com slash fishhound. Connect with Adam and the great trips he has going on in Alaska. Terry Kluke takes us up into Ontario, Canada to focus on his home water for muskie, pike, bass, and a whole bunch of other species. We find out when uh, they get rolling on their musky season, what the best lure is for musky, and some of the past shows that have highlighted uh, this big lake, this part of the world. He's had some big uh, guests that have come up there and done some filming, so we talk about that a little bit. And I will say ice is not that far off, so let's find out how to put this one together right now. So without further ado, here we go. Terry Kluke from MerkelsCamp.com. How you doing, uh, Terry? Good, Dave. How about yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, we're going to dig into some on um, your camp, the Merkel's camp that you have up there. In uh, Well, we're going to dig into exactly where it is. It's up in the Midwest, and you, you dig into some pike and musky fishing. We'll talk about that today. We might even talk about a little bit of hunting because that's something that's, you know, right now it's August and uh, we're going to be going into the hunting season, you know. I mean, we're already. I'm thinking about it a lot. So, and and I know up the Midwest, the Midwest is hunting or fishing the bigger thing in the Midwest. Probably uh, fishing would be the most popular because there's more area and more more time for that. Like the hunting season is is basically uh, it, well, it starts. We have people coming on Saturday to start hunting bears, but you have about six or eight weeks in uh, in the fall that you could hunt in and in the summertime you have like four months of it. So yeah, there's a lot more. Yeah. That's a lot more. What, so on the bear hunting, I'm curious about that one a little bit. So on the bear is, how are they? I mean, is that bear pretty good to eat? Oh, bear is excellent. One of the it guys is. I talked to last night there and, uh, he's down at our outpost cabin. We have there and 
he couldn't believe how good it tastes. He wants to come back and hunt again. He was hunting with his last fall and he, he got a bear and they do a bear and a fishing trip. Some guys do bear hunts, grouse hunts and fishing all combined in all one week. So it works out pretty good for him. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you could do it all. So somebody could come up there and, and do some fishing. When is the, like the pike muskie, when, when's the best time for that? Well, pike are all, all summer long and the muskies are all summer long, but the season actually for muskies opens on the third Saturday in June. Okay. That's when you can keep one if you want, but on our lake, we have a, a 54 inch minimum because we have a lot of, a lot of pretty good sized muskies. Yeah. They, we had some new, new people in camp this week there and they, they've caught one muskie every day between the three of them. And, uh, that have boated at least one muskie every day. A couple of days were three or four, but they've seen five or six different ones. But last night when he came in, the young guy, the son, which is around 25, he couldn't stop talking. He said, the fish I just saw today was just unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> he said, they boated, yeah. they boated 52 inches already. And this fish is way bigger. He said, no kidding. So we start like in a lot of times we get a lot of guys come up uh, fly fishing for for pike in the springtime first thing in the spring when they're up right up right up in the weeds and uh, they're pretty active right first thing as soon as the ice goes out. Oh, okay. They, yeah, but these guys are fishing like we fish pretty much a foot to about four feet five feet of water all summer long for pike and muskie. Oh, you so, do. So yeah, for fly fishing it works out really good for us. Yeah. So for you, pike versus muskie, what's the f one you're choosing if you had to choose one? Well, I go for muskies all the time because that's what I try. You know, you're trying for muskies, but you're going to catch pike anyway. Yeah. And uh, we do we do that kind of stuff. I did a, a, a thing for muskie 360 two weeks ago. They were fishing on one lake and weren't catching any fish. And they give me a call and they came over here for a day and we caught three. So that was kind of kind of nice. Uh, Muskie 360, is that like a TV program? Yeah, it's a, it's a podcast thing for, um, uh, to Joe Booker. Okay. He's he's a big musky guy. He comes up to camp quite often and fishes the lake a lot. So. Oh, nice. He does a TV show there. So. Oh, good. Is that something we could find out? I guess, did you have, are you on an episode out there? Well, this is what he did. This is a different guy. He's affiliated with Joe, but he does all their um, podcasts and network stuff and things on the computer for them and that yeah, yeah. Oh, i got you all right and why isn't why is pike not you know why is musky the one you go for more over pike if you had to choose one well it's a it's a harder fish to to catch by far and it's more of a trophy fish like a prestigious kind of fish to catch like is it bigger that, oh they're bigger like you catch small ones you catch like 20 inch and 30 inch and 40 inch muskies but but uh, I took a picture back in the 80s when we did a study on muskies, and that fish was over 80 inches long. So they get big eight. guys. We got world. The thing is, I go for is we have world record fish in the lake. So if you catch one on a fly rod, that's even. Oh, Roy, what is the world record? Well, right now the world record is uh, 59 pounds, and it'd be uh, 62 inches. Long, basically, that's right around where it is. It, <clears throat> there's three or four that are really close in, in that range, and we have them here quite a bit bigger than that. So, but you just got to catch them. That's the hard part. The 
Yeah, right. So they're out. And then, so let's talk about that. So catching them. So it sounds like you do a little bit of uh, like fly and conventional or how's that look? Yeah, I do conventional and myself, I do pretty much 99% fly. Fishing. I just, because it's just harder, you know, harder to hook them and they are hard to hook. Like these fish will have like, if you're conventional fishing and you've got a, a, a 10 inch bait with three great big treble hooks on it and you can't even see that lure. You'll fight that fish for five, ten minutes, and it'll come up and spit that lure out at you. So oh, when wow. you're fishing, yeah, when you're fishing for the fly, it's a lot more challenging. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's and, it. And a lot, of, a lot of times, like with the muskies, they'll, they'll strike right at the boat, and you got to do like a figure eight, or else just bring it in and draw it in front of you like a L or a J, and just so you can see, because they follow. They're they're notorious for following it rather than just biting. Very seldom you'll catch a, a muskie when you cast way out and you're starting to strip in from farther out. You'll catch them right close to the boat. So that makes it a little harder, too, because every time you cast, you have to start over again every time because you got to bring your right to the boat. So, Well, let, let's. Uh, I want to dig into some more on pike and or some muskie and pike uh, and then talk about your lodge. But let, let's take it back real quick to your, you know, your start of your fly fishing. I like to hear the intro story. So how did you... Uh, well, and I don't know if that probably blends right into with the lodge that you're at. I know you've been up there for many, many years, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, I was here when we first started. My grandfather kept telling me I was the first person to step on the property. So, but anyway. Was it 60s? Yeah, it was 1963. Yeah. We started yeah. the camp up and did that kind of stuff. So, yeah. But for fly fishing, I just, I, I just, I actually, I guided a guy that wanted to come up years and years ago, like probably Mm, close to 30 years ago now i guess and i said sure we'll give it a try so i was guiding and, and he kept having way more follows than i was with the conventional stuff and he hooked up a couple and and i was trying to get him to catch the fish anyway as a guide but uh i got kind of intrigued on it so i got a fly rod about a year later and uh started learning how to fly fish and I pretty much was self-taught and I doing it that way. And I mean, I'm the only guy around the whole country that fly fishes, like nobody else around here fly fishes. They all look at me, they go, you fly fish? I said, yeah. Oh, really? So you're the only one up at your, at your lake. You don't see many people fly fishing? No, there's nobody. There's nobody huh. around that fly fishes anywhere in the area around too much. Yet. And where are you? Where, what area? Where are you at? Well, we're basically, I'd say... The easiest way to find us is we're a hundred miles straight north of International Falls, Minnesota. They call International Falls the icebox of, of the United States. Well, we're a hundred miles north of that and a lot colder. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so your summers are, uh, are your summers short or what, when's that? When's the ice off and then when does the ice on? Well, ice is off usually by about the middle of, of May and it'll be back on again by usually pretty much guaranteed by the middle of November. Yeah. Yeah. So That's I don't get, so. we get some guys come up deer hunting in November and, and they get their deer first day or whatever. And they want to go fishing. I said, well, wait till morning and see if the lake's frozen or not. And they go, yeah. wide open <laughs> in the morning. It's frozen. <laughs> All right. Wow. So you've got six months of frozen, uh, lakes and then six months of summertime. How, how does, how do you like the winters, the six months when it's all frozen? Well, we ice fish all the time and we just, oh, yeah. yeah. And we have, we have snowshoe trails. We have people that come up in the wintertime for ice fishing and, 
snowmobiling and and snowshoeing and, and things like that so it's we stay fairly busy all all year long winter we don't push it a whole lot because a lot of people don't want to come up in january for sure because in january it's usually around 40 below oh it is wow yeah. <laughs> 40 below but we still go outside you go outside so i mean yeah. when you go at 40 below are you going outside and uh are you out there for hours at a time yeah we'll go like if it's if it's 40 typically we won't go very long but if it warms up to 30 below we'll uh go snowshoeing or something like that and have a little fire out in the bush and cook up some sausages and have coffee or yeah hot chocolate and spend probably five or six hours out in the bush and oh you will yeah you see you guys are hard that's awesome yeah. i remember the one of the times i was up i've never been i haven't been in 40 below or whatever many times but up in alaska i was in it once uh you know it was like yeah 50 below i think and you know, I was outside for about 10 minutes, so that was about all I could handle. I had to go back. <laughs> well, go back inside. it's kind of like being used to 100-degree weather. Like, I just got off the phone with a guy from Texas that's coming up next week. And uh, he said it's been 105 for, like, 30-something days in a row. And they had just got their first rain. So, yeah, it's just kind of what you're used to, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. How do you um, how do you find uh, you know you got this lodges there must be other lodges around in the area how do you find your new um, you know new people coming up or do they just find you? Well, mostly it's word of mouth. Uh, people come back up and they tell somebody else when they go back down again and that kind of stuff. And it's getting to be a little bit more with, with the internet. People are going to the website and looking at things like we had a, a couple that just left the, this morning. And uh, they came totally off the internet. And that's kind of almost unusual for us, but it's starting to, to develop that way a wee bit. Yeah. But there's a lot of times, like, we used to go to sports shows and, and travel around and, and do that kind of thing for, for the winter. And that was kind of our... Oh, right. Uh, you know, kind of vacation break anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't do the shows anymore? Uh, we're thinking about maybe doing one this year. Just mostly what it is, is you're going down and meeting all the people that have already come up kind of thing. And they bring somebody new to the booth and talk to them and yeah, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. What, what's the, uh, what's the show? If you're going to go to one show or a couple shows this, this next year, what, what would they be? Well, the one show we're, we're doing a, just a conventional fishing show in uh, Chicago. Uh-huh. And then we're going to the, the fly fishing show in Atlanta in February. Oh Yeah. Yeah, we're gotcha. doing that one. So yeah, yeah, doing the fly fishing show. And what's the conventional show? Do you, do you remember what that one's called? It's a, it's an all Canada show. Oh, all Canada. And it, yeah, they have a, a circuit. We've been going to those for well since they started, pretty much. And it's uh, it's kind of a good circuit because it's just all Canadian lodges. Oh, so, really? you know, people that are going to those shows are kind of interested in going to Canada, where a lot of the other ones have everything. You know, from nuts and bolts. Yeah. The surfboards to whatever, eh? right? Gotcha. And are you how close are you to Canada? How close to the United States? Yeah, yeah, we're 100 miles north of, of International Falls, the border. Oh, yeah, Chicago is like 15 hour drive. Oh, 15 hour drive, yeah, yeah. So it's that's and that's pretty much standard. These guys come from Texas, they're they're driving up. We get guys from uh, Sacramento, we get guys from. Uh, Los Angeles, Florida, all over the place. So, 2019, we had there was New Mexico, Maryland, and New Jersey were the only states we didn't have somebody from. Oh wow! Yeah, 
Yeah, I guess I wasn't. Yeah, I forgot. I was kind of thinking you were down in in the states, but yeah, you're up in you're up in Canada. That's right. That's yep. what, now it's making more sense. Of course, yep. yeah, you're yeah. you're you're way up there. So Merkel's camp. I'm looking at it now. So you're in. Uh, yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, you got uh, wow. Hudson Bay is way above you, but that's to the north, and you're yeah. in, uh, and you're on Ontario, right? Yeah, we're in Ontario. Yeah, yeah. I've worked up in Hudson Bay. I worked up on the coastlines at that. I was a, a lineman for years. Oh wow. So we serviced all the reserves up north and, and things like that and all the places up there. So I yeah. was kind of lucky. I get the fish all the way up to there. And Huh. If you drive up, could you, from where you're at, you know, if you start driving up north towards Hudson Bay, can you, can you just, are there, you know, fishing opportunities all the way up, pretty much lake opportunities? Yeah, there are. You pretty much have to have somebody to take you out or, or have a boat of some kind. There's not a lot of shore fishing in the areas. It's all lakes. There's no... There's not a lot of rivers. If you well, the farther north you go, then you get into some some uh, speckled trout and exact some of the smaller rivers. But oh, okay. uh, around here, it's all lake fishing. Yeah, it's like that's God. This is great. Yeah, I totally. I've been to Ontario only I think a couple times, and I it wasn't even for fishing, which is you know I mean you, the, Ontario has some good resources. We've done a few some steelhead. Uh, you know, we've done a couple of steelhead episodes as well. Um, but yeah, it seems like pike and muskie. Would you say those are the two species that people really in, in your area that that is maybe maybe add bass and smallmouth? Yeah, smallmouth is a really popular one. Like that's what we get most times when I get people come up fly fishing. They're coming up for the smallmouth. Oh, they are. And then they get into pike and muskies, and the next year they come is is for pike and muskie. Smallmouth are bait. <laughs> yeah, they're bait. <laughs> yeah. Like we have one guy from Atlanta comes up all the time. There's one group of guys, they fly fish and he says, uh, I'm not going to waste my time anymore going anywhere else. He says, cause a lot of times I'm, I'm happy with catching a, a trout in a stream somewhere that might be 20 inches long. He said here, they started 25 or 30 inches. And I said, yeah, that's kind of the way it is. So, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. This is good. Wow. So, so pike, muskie, bass, um, and and right now. So I guess that's the thing. I always like to kind of think planning a trip. You know, if if I was to come, you know, or somebody was to come up there and visit. I guess that's the first thing. Unless you want to go ice fishing, you're you're coming sometime after after like May or June. When would be the best time? If you say if if I want to come up there and I want to hit, you know, I want to focus on you know, hopefully get a muskie, get some pike, maybe even some bass. What would you recommend? Well, you can come pretty much any time it really it doesn't change <laughs> what about the uh do you guys have any other uh, other factors that would make the trip worse or better like bugs stuff like that well there's always bugs around like and, and stuff like that but nobody like it's surprising me people don't complain about it. they're not that bad like can sit around the fire in the evening time and and uh, have a few beer and relax and, and bs about the day kind of thing you'll get a few mosquitoes here and there but uh, it's not really a big thing. We put a thermocell out or something, and that's they're gone. You put so, what do you put out? A thermocell. Oh, yeah. like one of those bug zappers. Yeah, and no, it's actually just a little. You put a little. It's got a butane flame thing in it. It's got a little cartridge on it. They're quiet. They're and it just emits a little uh, kind of a gas, I guess, in the air, and it oh, keeps yeah. them. Yeah. What about when you're on the lake in a boat? Are you getting a bit up there a little bit? No, mosquito wise, no. You have we have these little things called ankle biters. They're like a little, a like little a stable fly. fly. Yeah, like a house fly or a stable fly. That's kind of what they're like. But they uh, they really do go after your ankles. Oh, do they? Yeah, it's amazing because they hang around the bottom of the boat where your your feet are, kind of thing. So 
and they bite, but that, that's about it. Little bug spray and they're gone, but it's not a big, not a big deal. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So anytime, so I would be thinking anytime for me, I would probably pick the best time when I don't have some other trips going. So maybe not during steelhead. So maybe, you know, maybe the, uh, like July would be July uh, is good. First part of August. And for fly fishing, it's like I said earlier, we fish shallow all summer long. So you don't have to pick a, a time of year where the fish are going to be up in two or three feet of water. Cause they're that, they're that shallow all, all summer. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so we come out there. So let's just say I'm, I'm coming at, well, I guess right now we're, we're into the mid August date, but, um, we could even say September. So you, like you said, September, October still are times when, uh, you could get some musky. Oh yeah. September and October is when people like we get, we get people to come at different times of the year, but they come the same time every year. Like one group will come in September, one like come in May, some come in July. Okay. I'm the same time of year every year. And they target, you know, like in a fall, typically you'll catch some big walleyes and, and pike and muskie. And that's what you go for. And, and in the summer, we get guys come in. They want to fish big walleyes and, and uh, pike and muskie, and they get them too. So it doesn't, it just depends on when you have the time off. That's the biggest thing. Like okay. Yeah. And you have the walleye too. So if it was, let's just say it was, mid-September, you know, let's just pick that time, mid-September in that period. What would be, so we come in, what, what do we do? We fly into, um, uh, what, what's the airport if somebody's coming in? Well, a lot of people from, if they're going to fly in, you can fly into International Falls, and we're two and a half hour drive from International Falls up. And then there's, if you want to fly into Canada, they fly to Thunder Bay, which is three and a half hours from us, and they drive up, so... And that goes through Toronto, and that, there's connections that way. But through International Falls, you come up through Minneapolis area. Okay. Some groups of guys, they'll get together. Like, we get a group that comes in uh, two weeks from now. And they're from both coasts. All There's about eight to ten guys every year pretty much go to our outpost cabin. And uh, they fly into Minneapolis and rent a, a van and drive up. Yeah. So, and there were seven hours from Minneapolis. So it's not oh, seven bad. hours. That's not yeah. bad. So, so that's it. So a little road trip up yeah. North and then, and so once you get into the lodge, what, what, what do people expect? So they're coming in, they drive up. Is this, are you pretty much remote? Nothing else around you for miles and miles? No, there's, there's like, we have a little town around the corner. It's like two miles away. It's 200 people. And then there's a town at the other end of the lake. Dryden is where it is. Like people are looking kind of the area. If you look on maps, you'll see Dryden, and we're just 15 miles east of that. So they're on the lake there, but when you go out, you're going to go pretty much all summer long. You'll spend the day on the lake, and you might see eight or ten boats, and typically they're yeah. boat camp. Yeah. Gotcha. So that's that would be it then if we're coming up. So I'm going to drive up. you got a nice little seven-hour cool trip up, and uh, it probably is probably an amazing drive up. Is that seven hours pretty cool, uh, that drive? Yeah, you're driving to... Like through Minnesota, you're leaving kind of, you're just on the edge of the prairies, Minneapolis is, and then you're going to go into the trees and things like that. And then once you get up into Canada, it's a good introduction because there's absolutely nothing. There's yeah. there's no houses, there's no, there's just one road and that's it. That's what you have up here. Today's episode is sponsored by Lake Lady Rods. You can reach Lake Lady right now at 218 218- 
251-2626. Check in with Chris and see what he has going. That's the best way to let him know that you're interested or at least find out what kind of rods he has for you. Um, I've got a fine-tuned specimen that I'm going to be breaking out here on the river this next week. A, a blue rod, a gunmetal reel seat, uh, a sweet Portuguese handle, and uh, and it's got all the fixings, all all the bells and whistles, uh, including that uh, that nice jungle cock. This is a nine foot four weight, and it just casts like a dream. I'm excited to be uh, getting in on this one, um, and actually I might let the kids use this rod on this trip, even though they got a couple of fiberglass rods. Which um, maybe we'll switch it up. Maybe I'll let the kids use the. The uh, the Chris's Lake Lady rod, and I'm going to use the fiberglass. I think we got a uh, let's see. I guess we got the eight footer, seven footer, and eight footer. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to break out the old fiberglass this trip. But if you want to check out what Chris has going, he also works on bamboo rods, builds those from scratch, um, all sorts of good stuff going there. You can check in with him right now at uh, Lake Lady Rods. Uh, and the best thing, like I said earlier, is just give him a call two one eight two five one two six two six. And if you can, this is the way to support this podcast. If you give Chris a call right there and just check in with him, pick his brain a little bit, ask him about rods, see what he has going. Um, that is would be awesome if, if we can get a bunch of people reaching out to Chris this week after this episode. Okay, back to the show. So when you get into the lodge, paint that picture. So we drive up. What, what's that look like as you're coming in? When you drive into camp, what we have is cabins, individual cabins, basically. We have uh, four that are two-bedroom, one three-bedroom cabin. And so it's you have your own facilities, cooking-wise, everything else if you want, do things. We also have meal plans we do if you want. But most of the people that we come that come up here kind of do their own thing. Mm-hmm. And even for guys that I guide, like the only guys I really guide too much anymore are new people the odd time but uh fly fishermen sometimes i'll get like two guys come they want somebody to drive the boat so they can fish kind of thing. and that uh see i we have all the electric trolling motors on them and they're operated with your foot so and you're not moving fast you're basically just sitting in this one spot and just moving around a little wee bit when you're fishing so after a day or so most guys kind of want to do their own thing anyway it's 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 actually really easy like to fish and you don't have to do a lot of spots like um like i'll guide somebody one day and the way i guide for like for conventional fishing and things like that is i'll take you out and i'll show you 10 or 15 different good spots to fish and how i fish the lake and then a person can kind of do their own thing yeah what are you looking for in a in a good spot say for a, a good fly fishing spot well a fly fishing spot for for the muskies and things like that you're looking for a little cove with some rock and some cabbage weed area that's that they particularly like to have it holds a lot of oxygen so a lot of bait fish are in that area and that's what you're you're kind of focusing on those kind of spots and there's literally thousands of them within tourist miles camp <laughs> of thousands of muskie well of the areas you know like thousands of the little coves that you're looking for and like okay. You get an island, they'll have like 10 of them just on one little island, like a spot. Oh, right, right. So they're just, yeah, they're just... Fished. Yeah. Anyway, like these these new guys that we have in camp right now, there's a, a family, mom and dad and two sons. And like I said earlier, they've caught uh, probably 25 muskies so far this week. Really? And they've been here before. 
25 miles, and this is all on uh, conventional gear? That's on conventional gear, but they're fishing two or three feet of water. And, uh, but and he said, you fly fish for these? I said, yeah, because I might have to try that next year. Yeah. It's, it looks like it could be fun. I said, yeah, it yeah. is time. That's interesting. It is interesting to hear because I always think, I guess, because I'm obviously we have a fly fishing podcast, so we've done, you know, a number of episodes on muskie and pike and obviously it's been fly focused, but it's interesting to think that, yeah, I mean, the majority of people aren't fly fishing for them. It's still a small little, I mean, where would you have to go to where you feel like, you know, they're like everybody's fly fishing or is that just, it's just like few and far between? Um, I have to go. Basically, I go down to the White River in Arkansas, and I fish there quite a bit because we have a lot of guests from that area. So I know a lot of people that show me different spots, and we do stuff. But that's really where fly fishing starts. Like Minneapolis area, Minnesota, it's starting to get a little bit busier fly fishing-wise. And mostly it's people that have come up here and fly fished with me over the years, and I've gone back down and, and fly fished, and it's kind of evolved from that. Yeah. So when you're out there on the fly targeting these muskies, so you find a spot where there, you know, there's some cover, like you said, what does it look like when you're trying to, when you hook up with the fish, how are you finding that fish? Well, you're finding the fish basically, like I said earlier, when you're stripping in and a lot of times I tell people don't strip too fast. Like people are, are strip, 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 you know, consistently. And a lot of times those pike will hit stuff when it's, and the muskies will hit stuff when it's sitting still and it, you just twitch it and they'll take it. But, uh, like I said earlier, a lot of times the muskies, I would say 65% of the muskies are caught within three feet of the boat, three feet of the boat. So you, and then what does, what does your strip, uh, look like? So you cast, how far do you, are you casting out there? I'm casting probably 80 feet. Oh, wow. So you're making a long cast. Yeah. So you make a real long, and that's because why you don't want to spook well, the muskie. You're, you're in three or four feet of water with your boat or five feet of water with your boat. And you're fishing right up into, basically you're fishing up into six and seven inches of water. And these muskies will lay, they, there's a, a strip of weeds, typically about three to five feet from shore. And there's no weeds in between that area. And I call it the no zone. And a lot of times the muskies will lay there where the sun shines in and they'll lay in behind those weeds and they'll wait for smaller fish to go into the weeds and they'll, they'll take them from there. And they stay right in that two and three feet of water. Yeah. Even the big fish. Yeah. Yeah. You'll get, you'll get a, a 50 inch muskie in two to three feet of water. Two or three feet. Wow. So and you're casting 80 feet mainly because what is the, because I would think that, you know, you could cast 40 feet if, if they're coming up, you know, to your boat. Could you cast 40 feet instead of 80? Oh yeah. You can, yeah you can, I just, I just typically, the hard part is a lot of times when I, I go fly fishing, I'm so used to conventional fishing or I'll be with somebody in the boat that is conventional fishing. So I've, they, they like to be way up in shore cause they make a long cast easily. So I'm, I'm trying to get that distance also. So we don't have to get the boat into shallow water. Oh, because you're fishing with conventional anglers. Yeah, sometimes, but oh, I see. even when I'm by myself, like you'll have your boat out from shore and it'll be 50, 60 feet out from shore. So I want to cast right to the shore if I can. Yeah. And if I'm bat fishing, I'll, I'll be like 40 feet. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. I'm just wondering if we're out, if I'm out there in a boat, I'm on my own. 
I just want to know because 80 feet is a long cast, right? I mean, if, if I don't have to cast 80 feet, well, it is. I just, I've just gotten, yeah. I've gotten so used to doing it. It's just harder. Like, and as the day goes on, I'm down to 40 to 50 feet for a cast for sure. Cause you get played out after a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's, uh, what sort of gear, like, uh, what's your, uh, rod length, weight, stuff like that? Well, I use, I use a 10 foot, like a nine weight and I've got, I've got 11s and 12 weights and, and stuff. And it depends, like the hard thing, I use some, some big, fly, I got flies that are like a foot long. Really? <laughs> yeah. And they're hard to cast because there's, you know, they're catching so much wind all the time trying to cast them. Eh? So those ones are, are a lot shorter cast, but I use some bigger stuff. I got, I make stuff that looks kind of like a squirrel and uh, different baits here and there. And, and just something different is what you're trying to get. Mm-hmm. I, I do buy some, like I used to buy a lot of my stuff, but now I just make one or two different flies here and there. So I try and try that. I got some squirrel tails. I'm going to actually try and make something right out of a, the whole tail itself rather than just the hair. Use the tail for part of it. Because a lot of the stuff we use are poppers. So uh-huh. you use them baits and so when you're fly fishing like i use a, a popper that's uh oh i'd say inch and a half long the the popper head itself with about a three quarters to one inch diameter and then i'll put my hair and stuff in behind and it'll be eight to ten inches long six inches long some of them some some of the ones i've caught most on are only four inches long yeah What's your uh, tip on casting a big, giant, you know, foot-long fly? I would have to say... You find it hard? Is it hard or easy? So it's harder. It's way harder. Like, I've taken guys out, and, like, I, some of the guys that can come up, they uh, phone me and ask me what kind of flies to use. And I said, well, I use totally any fly at all, just about, is what I end up using. And I said, it doesn't make a, a lot of difference on color and things like that other. But uh, I said, just bring up whatever you use for tarpon. Well, they come up with little wee shrimp baits. I'm thinking, well, that's not going to quite cut it. <laughs> yeah, because you're trying to imitate. I mean, what, what's main the main thing for muskie are you trying to imitate? You're you're imitating um, like small tulipies, like a little whitefish that are like 10 inches long and they're kind of white and silvery. And, and then you're imitating like a lot of things we use are, are black. And I don't, on this lake, black works really good. Like yeah. if you're having a hard time fishing, I always tell people go back to black. Just like if you're using a fluorescent green or a white or yellow fly, I said if you're having a hard time, go back to a black one. Yeah. And the ones I have are just pure black. Like I use streamers, like a six inch streamer, and it's imitating like a leech kind of thing. That's what it's doing. And that's kind of what you're imitating. There's the hard part is like some of these baits you ha- that people use conventionally fishing. There's nothing in the lake that even looks close to what they're after. No, they're just flashy. They're just hitting something. Exactly. They're just, it's more of a reaction bite than anything else. Yeah. And you got to, to take it. What are you using on the fly? What what sort of line are you using? Are you using like a sinking line? I use a, a, a sink tip line. And because we're fishing shallow, I want it to sink like maybe three, four inches a second kind of thing. That's all I want it to, to go down. Uh-huh. And, uh, because you you don't have to go very deep. Like I remember when I did the, the fly fishing show with Colin there, he come up with full sink tip line and everything else. Oh right, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. So so Colin uh, McEwen right from the uh, the fly fishing show. Yep, the new fly fisher. 
Yep. That's awesome. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll put a link out to that episode we had with Colin. I can't remember. Again, I, th- I think he actually talked. I can't remember if it was Muskie or Pike. I think he did a Muskie thing too. So I'll put a I'll put some resources to some episodes, Some at least that one we've done. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of funny because when we were out fishing and uh, we had a, a big blow on a storm and, and the lake gets kind of muddy and things anyway. But uh, he said, where do I cast here? And I said, cast right there. So I pointed to a spot for him and he cast and hooks this big muskie. Well, Jeremy, Jeremy is trying to get the camera going because we basically just pulled up to the shore, right? And he casts out about 30, 40 feet to the shore and he hooks his muskie and he's fighting it. And Jeremy's just getting the camera going and he lost it. And he lost it right in front of the boat. So Jeremy's filming Colin and Colin's saying, oh, I lost this fish. Da, 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 da. And I keep telling people, keep your eye on your bait all the time. Fish it right to the boat. Well, anyways, Popper sitting on the on the water like 25 feet in front of the boat and you can see the muskie come up and grabbed it again <laughs> oh wow <laughs> but he he wasn't around yeah. to, you know he's talking to to us on the camera kind of thing so what's that take when you you're uh you're doing the figure eight in uh you know near the boat on it with a fly what, what's that look like well when you're doing the figure eight you're kind of you, you got your rod in the water and typically i'll i'll have about oh a foot and a half to three feet of line out and you're just basically going down and making a big loop around, come make a big long figure eight as much as you can. And the longer the rod you have, the easier it is. Oh yeah. Like, uh, these conventional guys now, they're they like a conventional musky rod. Twenty years ago, fifteen years ago was, you know, five and a half to six and a half foot long rod. Now these guys are showing up with nine, ten, eleven, twelve foot rods. Wow, and that's mainly so they can work the uh, work the gear. What are they using for? What's their are they actually using bait or is it, what are they using? No, it's all artificial baits. It's a big lures and stuff like their lures are using are anywhere from uh, six and a half inches to 14 inches long. Yeah. Gotcha. So if you're out there, if you're out there fishing and you have to choose, you know, you want to catch a muskie, are you going to have a much better chance to get one on a lure versus a fly? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're, they're easier to catch on, on conventional stuff. Mostly because you, mostly because you have more hooks, like they've got three big treble hooks. Whereas a fly, you have one or two. Oh, what right. I do, like when I tie my flies now, I take a treble hook, but I'll cut one hook off, and just use two hooks out of it. And I found it it casts way easier that way. And I'll use maybe two of those on the fly. So right away, you got more weight, which is harder too, because you know, as you know, when you're back casting, if it's too heavy, it's just kills your cat. Oh, right, right, right. And, and guys are, so, and you said, so guys are actually, if they, they're killing the muskie, are they eating these? Are they good to eat? No, we don't. Well, they are good to eat. We used to eat them a long time ago. But when we did uh, that study way back in the 80s, I uh, I set the limit at 54 inches and that become our whole, our whole lake that, that come that way is, you have to have them over 54 inches even to keep them. And why is that? That's just so they give them time to, to, to produce. Well, we have a lot of fish that are in that range. And um, in the 70s, this lake, there, it was one of the best lakes in the world for catching muskies. Really, it really, really was. It was super popular. And everybody was fishing it for a world record. And that's what people come and fish for now is trying. Like we have a lot of pro guys that come up from Minneapolis or Minnesota area and Wisconsin that are 
pro musky guys and do all the TV shows and all that kind of stuff. And they come up to camp because they want to try and catch a world record fish. And they said, well, that's a million dollar fish. If I get one, I said, well, million, you know, that doesn't make sense. I mean, a million dollars. And he goes, all the sponsors we get, my yeah. boat, depth finders, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it does make sense after a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're saying that the, the fishing in the seventies was really good there and, and it's not quite as good, but you still have a chance to catch a, uh, Oh no, it's, it's actually gotten better now. Oh, it's better the, than it was. Yeah. See, when we did the study, I, we closed the lake for six, six years because we had radio transmitters in them and we followed the fish around the lake and did stuff. And it, uh, we got to learn their patterns really good. And it, I learned an awful lot because when I was told years ago by the, all the old, uh, musky guys <clears throat> and guides that if there's a musky in this bay, that's his bay. Well, that's wrong. That, that musky will come into that bay, but there'll be like five or six muskies in that bay. Yeah. And there's like a pecking order. Well, they hunt like in a pack, like a wolf pack. They push the fish along the shorelines into the bottom of the bay, and, and then the fish kind of just come right out into the back out into the middle, just like a, like a current would. They push them out, and the bigger fish are laying in the middle of that bay waiting for the... Oh, wow, so the, they're, they're working together. Oh, they all work together. For sure they do. Yeah, we learned that. That's for sure. Wow. So for six years, you closed, I mean, was that kind of, I mean, so you weren't doing, nobody was, uh, you're doing no guiding or doing booking trips for fishing? No, we did fishing. We just closed the season for catch and release. You couldn't do anything. You couldn't keep them at all, eh? Oh, at that time, oh gotcha. The original size limit was actually uh, 36 inches to keep them yep. a, a long time ago. And uh, I said, that's way too low. I want it bigger. So we made... I, they said, well, what do you want? I said, I want 55 inches. And they said, well, I can't have 55. They went down to 40. So we argued and I ended up getting it at 54. Uh, and who are you arguing with? With the, the government, the ministry, the setting the, uh, Oh, wow. So you literally came up to, you had some folks there that came in and said like biologists said, Hey, we want it this level. And you were basically coaching them. Yeah, that's what we did. I did this all with the biologists and and uh, ministry people and right, right, right. And now I'd imagine years, you know, 50 years later, whatever people, they probably have a lot of research. And now it, and now is 50 inches still or 55 still the standard. Yeah. 54 inches is standard. That's what we have now. And, and it's actually taken over to a lot of the other lakes in the area now too, because for one thing, if you go to a lake where the minimum is 54, you're going to think, well, there's some big fish in that lake. And if the next lake's minimum 48, they're going to think, well, there's, I'm going to go this one because it's a bigger fish. So now they've all kind of gotten into that zone now, too. So they made it 54. Most of the lakes in the area now are 54 now. But it took them a long time to get that way. <laughs> right. Got you. Okay. So so you have a lake that potentially is, you know, has giant fish, maybe even world record sort of thing. So that's one, obviously, one good selling point, you know, uh, the size of the fish. And you said the biggest fish, the world record, what, did you say it was 60 pounds? Yeah, it's right around sixty pounds. Yeah, yeah. yeah looking at so okay. There's, there's three or four that are in that range, but roughly you're looking sixty pound fish. Yeah, sixty but, pounds. Uh, wow, yeah. wow, this is cool. So, and you do, and like you said, you, you got conventional fishing, which is the majority. There's you could fly fish some if you want, and I wonder. So, if somebody comes up fly fishing, it sounds like it's a little bit of a do-it-yourself sort of thing. You can, although yeah. yeah, although you could take them out and say, hey, here's definitely the spots. Are the spots that are good conventional also good fly? Oh yeah. You're fishing the same spots. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like I said earlier, like it's all just shallow water. Yeah. 
so that's it. If I was to come up or somebody's to come up with you in September, there's a good chance of on a fly we could get one on on a fly. Oh yeah, like you come July, August, September. There's there's yeah, you're gonna have some action. You're gonna get you're gonna get some muskies and some pike, and if you want to go for bass, and I even fly fish for walleye. Exactly. Well, and the walleye is another. I mean, that's definitely a game a species people love, right? I mean, the, the, it's uh, up there, right? Is walleye not quite as popular as as pike and muskie, but pretty popular, right? Walleye is what we base our whole income on. Oh wow! Yeah, it's like walleye is what people from the Midwest area they come here for walleye fishing. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, because you can keep a bunch. Well, you can keep and you can keep pike and you can keep bass and you can keep crappie. Right. Like our our crappie and our lake are. Kind of an average of 14 to 17 inches. Holy cow. Yeah. The biggest one I've ever caught so far is 20 and a quarter. Jeez. You got a photo of that one? You got a photo of that 20 incher? No, actually, I don't. I let it go again. I threw it back in again. But the guys, I had two guys with me in the boat when we caught it there. But uh, I never even bothered taking pictures. I never thought much about it. Like I caught a 18 and a half inch perch years ago and I did take a picture with that because I was with a biologist and he made me take a picture and then I ended up throwing it in. He goes, whoa, geez. Wow. What about, uh, what about lake trout? We have lake trout lakes all in the area and I fly fish for those and conventional fish both. I had a guy come up, uh, oh, probably 10 or 12 years ago was the first time he came up and he comes up every year now fishing with me for about four days for lake trout and then he does pike and, and muskie on the lake here but uh, i have some little lakes i go back into i'm i have the only boat on it one lake i've i have since uh 1972 and the other one was 75 and I, i'm the only person with a boat on it so we wow. do we do very well but anyway he phoned me one year and he says well, i've been up to great slave lake i've been here and i've been there and i want to catch a lake trout on the fly but i've never been able to do it they always tell me you can but i go there and i had never caught one he said, can you do this? And I said, well, I'm pretty sure I can probably help you out that way, Bill. And so anyway, we come out, and we fished, and about the third cast, he caught one, and it was in about five feet of water. And he said, can I sight fish for him? I said, well, if we go into this bay here, there's probably some in the boulders. You'd probably get some. And he got to see it, and he cast to it and caught it, and that hooked him. He was he was done. Yeah. And, and <laughs> Buying a trailer and moving it up here and setting up here for this. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. He's all in. That's, that's amazing. That's, that's a great story. So are there other like fly again, you know, just going back to the fly, are there fly fishing, like, you know, guides, you know, gurus up in that area or is it, it feels like you're kind of just an area that where, yeah, I'm not even sure where you would go. If you wanted to dig in like more resources, maybe get a, a, a fly guide somewhere else. Is that doable or, or are there options? No, well, as far as I know, Dave, I said there's there's nobody else around with fly fishes. Yeah, that's it. You're just at a spot. You're you're up far enough there that's just not uh, hasn't. It probably eventually will. I'm sure it, it will eventually get there, right? You, yeah, well, you, do you I, see it going there? Well, I do because, like I said earlier, like the um, northern Minnesota and Wisconsin is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and a lot of it has to do with like um, guys that have come up and fished with me over the years have gone back down and fished and then they tell their buddies and they start doing it and, and it's gotten bigger. And plus they get the people from the Midwest, like Arkansas area and that they come up and they're fly fishing and they go to Minnesota to fish and they're fly fishing there. So they, and people are trying it more. It's yeah. just something different. The sport's really starting to grow in this area. It's starting to grow. And, uh, but whenever, um, I'm out fly fishing, 
and a boat goes by and it's a, like half a mile away or a mile away, which is too close for me as far as I'm concerned. And uh, they'll see, and they'll say, oh, I saw you out fishing the other day. And they said, well, how'd you know it was me? Because you're a fly fishing. <laughs> yeah. Everybody else fly fishes. You're the only one. Huh, that's really cool. So, and, uh, but it's, um, if you go up there, there's not, you're not going to feel like there's a lot of pressure. You can get your spot and have your little chunk of the lake. That's why it is a popular spot because people go out and there's nobody, like I said earlier, if you see eight or 10 boats and I'm like, when I said half mile to a mile away for boats, that's, you're seeing them that far away or more. You don't fish beside. All right. How big is the lake? The lake itself is Wabagoon and Denorica is joined together. And from one end to the other is 45 miles. Oh, wow. And then there's nine lakes you can get to by boat off of that. So yeah, you've got, you've got a lot of water. Today's episode is sponsored by Rare Gear, not only making uh, telescoping fly rods, but rethinking the whole fly kit uh, as you travel around. And, uh, and their focus is building lighter, better equipment uh, and to keep you going strong. Their rod is a blend of traditional and Tenkara styles, and uh, and they got actually a new rod out. And I just talked to uh, Derek. They've got a seven-foot rod right now. He's trying to hit some of that Spring Creek stuff. So I have not actually uh, handled this one, but if it's anything like um, his current rod, the one that I have been using, it is a nice, solid piece of work. Uh, definitely a unique rod. If you haven't checked it out, you know what we're talking about here. No guides on this thing. Um, the line is internal. The rod collapses down into the size that'll fit in your backpack, fit in your back of your pocket. It's got the reel, the line, everything's on there, but it telescopes out and is ready to fish uh, at a moment's notice. So this has been coming up uh, a few times now over uh, since we've been working with um, with Derek here, and I'm excited to keep sharing this, and I, I want to get my hands on this new rod as well. Uh, he's also got some nets, some folding nets. He's got the wading booties. He's got the full package if you want to get out and do it. So you got to check out uh, Rare Gear right now and uh, and go check it out and support what Derek has going at Rare Gear. That's R-E-Y-R gear.com. Check them out right now. Okay, back to the show. So let's go back. So we're coming in, let's say that September trip, and we want to find you know a giant muskie if we can. Uh, so, you know, you roll in there, say on a, on a Friday or Saturday, you know, what's that first day look like? Are you getting out on the water like super early? Oh yeah. Like if you pull into camp and say, say you come from Minneapolis and you're, and you're, you fly in say Friday night and or Friday afternoon to Minneapolis and a lot of guys will drive up part way up to get out of the city and, and the guys will sit around and get a hotel room and have a few beers and, you know, make it part of the trip. Eh? Yeah. And, uh, they show up here. Like this, they'll stay like in Virginia, which is four hours away from us. So they drive, they're here by 11, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, in the morning. And within about an hour, you can be fishing. Right. Like as soon as you can get your gear ready, the boats are sitting there ready to go. And most, I would say 95% of the people that fish out of camp fish within a three mile radius of camp. You're not traveling very far. Like we have guys that go out and don't go more more than a mile from camp and they're starting to fish they're they're doing their thing so yeah and like like i said earlier if i'm if i'm going to guide somebody like i'll show them around just so they get familiar with the lake and what to look for and so i'll spend one day with them and typically i do that on the sunday because you show up like saturdays are changeover days for us so you're coming in some people start fishing at 
noon. Some people start fishing at three or four in the, in, in the afternoon. And up here, like if you come up in in June, the first part of July, you're fishing till 11 o'clock at night. Oh, wow. No yeah. kidding. So, yeah. so you got light, plenty of light too. If you want to fish, you come like the end of June, like the, in the middle part of June and into the first part of July, you can fish at uh, four in the morning if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> till 10, 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, so this is like yeah, pretty much uh, you're you're far enough up there. You're getting that, and what? And then at the in the dinner, so you come back. You said you can get this set up where you just come back and dinner's ready, sort of thing. Yeah, you can do that kind of stuff. And uh, like some people like to cook up fish they caught that day. Like we got some of the guys that fly fish, and they'll fly fish for a while, but then to just take a break, they'll stop and they'll jig a little bit and have a sandwich, and they'll jig out a couple of walleyes for supper or a couple of crappie. And they'll have those for, you know, or pike. Some, a lot of guys like eating pike too. It's, they're all good eating fish. So you can have, you can have fresh fish every night if you want. Every night. <laughs> what about, uh, so, so talk about the hunting a little bit. If we were come, when would be the best time if you wanted to do like the cast in blast, right? You want to do some, some musky and some hunting. What, what would be the best time? Yeah. You want to come like the end of August and September is your good time for like, you can bear hunt, um, the season starts on the 15th of August for bear hunting. So you can, you can fish then. And then if you want to do in the 15th of September, our growth season opens. So that's a popular time. The last couple of weeks in September are real popular because then you can do fishing for pike and muskies and walleye. You can grouse hunt and the trout are starting to move up and they're in shallow water again. See, that's the thing about the lake trout. They'll come up in the spring and fall to when the water's cold in the fall, they spawn in yep. October. The season closes at the end of September. Oh, like, gotcha. Yeah. And that, uh, last couple of weeks in September is when I typically do a lot of trout fishing, fly fishing that way. So it's, uh, yeah. so pretty good. So you got grouse, bear, you mentioned, uh, what about like uh, deer hunting? The deer hunting doesn't start until into October. Yeah. And stuff. And it starts getting a little, you know, it gets some really nice days, but it starts getting a little, colder than for some people yeah 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 grouse, grouse would be cool though take the shotgun yeah you know a little, i mean that's it right the swing out we were kind of joking about this a little bit but uh you know we got a, actually a hunting episode coming up with uh, jay scott outdoors um well i guess i'm doing this in the past so by the time this goes out it'll already be live uh, yeah so we, we did an elk hunting episode and uh and it's interesting because elk is not the easiest uh animal to uh to chase is is elk something that you would have interest in trying or have you ever gone elk hunting yeah i i do a lot of elk hunting or, oh you I, do yeah i used to go down to colorado and uh elk hunting i take my son down we had a thing there <clears throat> a couple of guys from wisconsin knew this rancher out in, in uh, colorado so we'd go up and through his place and hunt up and behind his place in the national forest there but there'd be probably eight or ten of us and it, it was all guys from camp that like there were some guys from texas and, and um well actually washington state they're from florida south carolina we'd all meet in steamboat and then go up in the mountains from there eh? but it was all people we met through camp that guys all kind of met over the years eh? and we did that for years and years and then um the rancher died and another guy took over and he didn't let us, anybody go through there anymore. So that kind of fell apart. So for about 10 years, I went every year and we, 
I, I love elk hunting. I, it was fun. Yeah. It was something totally different. And I, I would take Sawyer, my son. He shot his first elk when he was 11 years old. So. Oh, wow. Jeez. That's amazing. He's way, that's pretty cool. Well, we went down. We have an, also have an outpost cabin that you can actually drive to and have your own cabin, your own lake. And it sleeps up to 10 people. And it's it's a really super popular. Oh, on, on Wabagon? No, it's on a different lake altogether. It's about 50 miles from our camp. So we drive into it, and uh, you have your own cabin. It's Like I said, it sleeps 10 people. It's 24 by 40. You can put 10 people at the kitchen table. And I got all the boats there, and, and we get a lot of guys go there fly fishing too for pike. and well, It's mostly pike and walleye there. Oh, pike and walleye. And you mentioned uh, you mentioned wolf hunting. Is that something that's pretty popular? It's very popular. Yeah, it is. And what what do people do? Is a wolf? I, I imagine you're not eating a wolf. No, you don't eat it. It's just a hide, pretty much. Yeah, it's just a hide. You got a wolf. It's a trophy thing, but we have a lot of them, and we have too many of them. Almost, it seems like so. Yeah, and what are wolves? What are wolves? Uh, what's the negative of having too many wolves? Well, they're hard on the deer population and, and moose population. Yeah, and moose. Oh, they, they'll decimate the deer population in, in a heartbeat once yeah. there gets to be too many of them. So. Right, right. These are, these are whitetails? These are whitetail, yeah. Yeah. And most of the whitetail we get, like an average whitetail here for us, like field dressed is around 270, 270 pounds field dressed. Oh, wow. Yeah. 270 pounds. That's a big animal. Yeah. I shot one that was four and a quarter, which was the 11th largest deer ever shot. And, uh, but a lot of our deer go 300, 385 pounds, 350. Yeah. They get some big ones. So why do you think it is on the, the, so you got these big deer, you got these big, uh, musky. Why do you think the musky are so big? Do you think it's just uh, at your lake? Just genetics. It's all genetics. Yeah. 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 There's like, there's a lake that's, oh, maybe 20 miles cross country from us. It's chock full of muskies, but. To try and catch a 30-incher would be pretty hard. Most of them are all 25, 28 inches. But it's just a little wee lake, but it's full of muskies. And uh, But that, like I said, they're just small. And it's a landlocked lake. And I guess they got in there somehow <clears throat> years ago, like from a bird dropping something or whatever. And the lake isn't big enough to support big fish. And Wabagoon's got a lot of... Yeah, it's a big lake. Well, it's got a lot of feed. Yeah, there's 18 different species of fish in the lake between minnows and and fish itself. So there's there's a lot of fish. Yeah, I don't know if you know Bob Azumi and Mariko Azumi. Oh yeah, I've heard. Of, yeah, I've heard that name. Yeah, they're they're kind of like uh, Al Linder and Bill Dance of Canada. Uh huh. They've come up and done shows with us over the years, and they couldn't believe the amount of bait fish and and how live alive the lake was with with stuff. Oh wow! Right on. Well, this is this is pretty cool. I think um, it, I feel like we've covered uh, a decent amount. Anything else you want to give a heads up on? Um, you know, with your uh, the cabins or the fishing up there or hunting? Well, the cabins—they're all self-contained cabins. Uh, like I said, they come with everything you need in them, and uh, they got all the covered decks, gas grills. I sent you a picture last night of the sunset. Did you get that? Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that was awesome. That's that's the your view off the cabin decks. Oh good. Yeah. Yeah, I'll put a link to that in the show notes for this episode that so t- people can take a look. Yeah, so they're all self-contained that way. And like I said earlier, if you want meals, we have meal packages. Some people want just the dinners when they come in. The thing is, 
uh, I guess kind of different from us than like a lot of places is you don't have to come in at a certain time to eat. And like people want to fish, you want to fish and, and you're, you're in a really good spot and say you've raised a muskie and it's four thirty. You don't want to leave that and come to camp for supper at five o'clock. No. So that's kind of why people like to do their own thing and have, have things set aside. And, uh, there are times when we, uh, have meal plans where, okay, you're going to come in for like seven o'clock, but then some people want to fish till 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So it's hard. It's really hard to, to, uh, keep everybody happy that way. So most people do their own thing. Yeah. But we have some groups that want me to guide them every day. And I do, and they want meals and shore lunch, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So we provide anything, anything you want. Basically we, we provide. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that would be, some people would love that. Yeah, just have everything, have the food ready so they can just fly in and, and even get guided, right? And you mentioned, so how did that thing, so Colin, I actually looked at it, Colin McEwen, we, he actually did Atlantic Salmon, but his, um, Bill, uh, Bill Spicer did a musky episode. Yeah, yeah, he did a musky episode there too, so. So those guys came up to your area and they you, you kind of uh, fished with them? It was yeah, he did the musky, I can't remember where he did the musky one out of, I can't remember that. I remember watching it, but I can't remember where Lake he was on. I think he was down more in southern Ontario, down near uh, Kawartha Lakes. There's some that are kind of about, oh, maybe 100 miles north of Toronto. And they have some lakes there. And uh, they catch them there. And they'll catch them up to, up to 40 inches down there. They'll, they'll, get some, they'll get some nice fish. But uh, the reason people come up here is because they have a chance to catch a bigger fish. And it's not a busy lake. Like there's not people all over the place. That's the thing they want to, you know, you go to Canada, you want to have your own space, your own thing. Right. Like there's times Meryl and I, like last two falls ago, like this, this store here, we're, we're fishing and we're just jig fishing and just sitting around in the evening. There's it's in September and there's nobody on the lake. There's not a soul anywhere, not a breath of wind. And we're talking and doing things. And she starts talking to my, our daughter on the cell phone and all of a sudden the minnows are jumping. And I said, Meryl, hang up the phone and start fishing because there's something big here. So all of a sudden we're getting like two and three pound walleyes jumping out of the water. And I said, okay, that's it. So I picked up my fly rod and started casting. She saw that. She said, I got to go. She hung up right away and started picking up the rod and she started fishing because yeah. she knew something big was in the area. I'm looking one way and I'm fishing away. And she says to me, she says, where'd the boat go? And I said, what boat? She goes, the boat that makes that wave over there. And I looked over and said, there's no boat. Look at that. And she said, oh my God, that's a fish. And I said, yeah. And we could see if the fish was probably 80 inches. So I'm guessing that boat fish was close to hundred inches. No kidding. It was pushing a 10 inch wake on the water. And then we fished for it, fished for it for probably close to an hour trying to find it. And then we saw it just about a hundred yards from us. And it had about a 35 inch Northern in its mouth and it was eating it. Oh, wow. So you're yeah. talking like a, uh, like an eight foot fish. Yeah. We've seen them right here at the dock that are that big from the house. You look down at the dock and you can see the fish laying beside the dock. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, that seems to be, it seems like the, um, you know, the big muskie is definitely a cool, point to be thinking about and then date wise i think yeah mid-september to end of september would be cool because then you can it sounds like it's pretty diverse time the weather's still good you get some hunting in 
yeah, you get a little hunting, you can do a little cast and blast. And, and there's not too many places you can actually do that, you know, where you can go out for a few hours, get a few grouse and come back and fish a little bit and do that kind of stuff. So, yeah. What's the name of a, a good lure for musky that people, if, if somebody wanted to grab a lure, what would be that one? Well, lures, um, like a top raider. Top raider? Yeah, top raider. Suic. A suic bait is probably number one. How do you spell suic? It's um, S-W-I-C-K. Oh, suic. Yeah, suic. Okay. Yeah. And all it is, it's literally a piece of wood. It's about five-eighths of an inch thick and about an inch across and about 12 inches long. (laughs) Hmm. It's like if you took a broom handle and squared it off and put some hooks on it. But a black one of those is like dynamite. It's just that black, yeah. black suic. Wow. And and uh, and on the hunting, are you doing all? Are you guiding people for hunting too? Yeah, I take people out, show them where to go, and do things. And and once again, like you know, like one day once you learn kind of what you're looking for, where you're going, and I set them up, they can go do their own thing. But I I take people out like. Like some of the guys that come up, they want me to go every day with them. And I said, okay, we, we, you know, because they want to go somewhere different all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So you can and take them around. Gross hunting, you can go down the same old trail five days in a row and there'll still be birds on it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so is it just you? I mean, who out there, like, you know, as you look ahead, or, or is, do you have other folks that are going to come in and, and, you know, keep the lodge going in the long term? Well, our, Son and daughter, they're kind of looking at it and doing, their son is for sure. And, uh, like it, it, next year will be 60 years. And I've been here since day one. Like when we, when we first opened up camp, we came by boat for the first two years because there's no road here. Like we, my grandparents and I, my parents had nothing to do with it. It was, it was my grandfather and my grandmother and myself that built the camp. And, uh, we built, we come by boat and built the cabins and oh wow so when you get up there because there's a highway isn't highway 17 just north of you yeah highway 17 is only like a mile and a half across country so that was was that there back in the day in the 60s that was there but it was gravel oh right so you had a gravel so that highway was gravel so basically there was no road into and then your 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 grandparents like yeah. boat, boated to that point because you're on a pinnacle out on the island and then yeah what they do just buy did they just purchase the property actually my grandfather bought it sight unseen it was a it was a mining claim. Like this area was kind of developed back in the late 1800s. It was a mining claim. It was patented in 1896, and he ended up buying it sight unseen. And him and I come by boat to look at it one day. Wow! Do you remember what he paid for it? He paid five thousand dollars for it back. Five thousand in 1963. Yeah, he bought it in '62, and we opened camp '63. Yeah. And 63. And what, if you were to sell it, you know, you probably don't want to ever sell it, but if you were to sell it, you get more than five grand out of that thing, probably. Yeah, probably. I might double my money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's me. So, so 60 years is pretty cool. I mean, a lot of the people listening now probably are, uh, you know, there's definitely some people that are, you know, that were bored at that time, but I mean, that's, that's a long time, you know, and, and are you, as you look out, do you, do you see yourself just doing this, you know, till the end of the day, or do, are you going to kind of retire from this thing? Like the guide, the guiding? It's hard to retire because most of the people come, they come up to see us kind of thing and do things. That, that's a big part of it. Like we have, we have um, 14 three-generation groups coming up like regularly. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we've got 11 uh, four-generation groups. Like we, got, we have people that have been coming. Well, one of the 
couples that just left about two weeks ago. They were up here, and they've been coming up here since 1965. Wow. And we have lots of people have been coming. Like our average, like some people have only been coming for maybe two or three years, but some people have come in for 30, 35, 40 years. Like we have one guy that's come up, and he came up 30 years ago. He's got his his spring trip that he came up this spring on was his 168th trip up here. Wow. In, in 30 168. Years. And he's from Wichita. He, and, they, and they'll drive up two and three times a, a year. Oh, no kidding. That's really cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is awesome. It sounds like a pretty amazing place you're up there. And, <clears throat> and you got wolves out there. You ever hear the wolves uh, howling at the moon? Oh, we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty, yeah that's pretty, pretty cool. Pretty cool sound, isn't it? There was a big pack across on a couple of the islands a couple of summers ago. And they would sit by the fire. And like and a lot of times in the evening, we have a fire spot there. And we sat around there and, and you could hear them for like two or three weeks. They, they would howl. And then they kind of moved off that island. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. Right out in front of camp. It wasn't very far away. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I love the wolves. I love it. Definitely. We we had some good Canadian wolf interactions on the other side of Canada. But uh, so what about, I got one, my one random one for you today is, uh, before we get out of here, is uh, is on sports. Are you are you a hockey fan? I'm hockey. I played OHL hockey. Uh-huh. I, I went up that far and then I ended up hurting my knee that summer on construction and that was the end of my hockey career but yeah we play hockey we play basketball volleyball my kids my daughter played uh, university volleyball oh wow both my kids have played competitive hockey oh was your daughter was she um was she kind of up slamming the ball at the net or kind of more de- on the back end she did everything she never left the court yeah she when she was uh, first year in in university she never left the court she she was on the whole time. She uh, the coach actually called me at Christmas time and said she won rookie of the year. And I said, well, it's only Christmas. She, he said she's got so many stats nobody can even come close to her. No kidding. What yeah. what university was this? In Thunder Bay, Lakehead University. Oh yeah, Thunder Bay, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, she's getting married here on the tenth of September. And Ryan Thompson, he's the head coach for the university team. That's how they met. She played ball. Oh no kidding. He played ball. Wow. And he was, he was just out in Vancouver for the summer coaching a, a men's professional team for Canada. Oh, wow. The summer league. That's all uh, NBA guys and uh, D-League people. Oh, oh, so you're talking basketball now. Yeah, that's basketball, yeah. Oh, wow. So your son-in-law is a basketball coach. Yeah. yeah. They were down in, in uh, Maine, and he was a uh, player development coach for the Celtics farm team for the Red Claws. and. They were that doing that for a couple of years, and then he's back up here again doing coaching here. And oh man, they'll be around for a while. <laughs> yeah. So are they plan? Is the wedding being held up at the at the camp? Yeah. Oh, it is. Do, yeah. do you do weddings? Do, do people come up there for weddings? Well, we try not to. We keep yeah. Getting people. This will be the first one we have. We we've turned people away because the hard part is it's a weekend, and they want like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday kind of thing, and that takes up two whole weeks of our camp because we're yeah. turning on saturday so it's hard to do right. so we're closing camp first time ever we close camp for two weeks there you go two weeks for the big well it's worth it yeah obviously your daughter's getting married that's pretty that's huge yeah yeah it'll be Gosh, fun. that's great this, this is really cool well i think uh i think i definitely want to come up there like we talked this sounds like a pretty awesome trip but i think hopefully anybody that's listening now if it sounds interesting to them we'll have them uh, maybe send an email out to you or, or call you and let you know they heard heard you on the podcast here and 
um, you know, hopefully we'll get a few people heading your way. Um, but yeah, I think I think I'm going to, uh, you know, keep in touch with you here. Anything else you want to leave us off with, you know, before we head out of here? No, not really. It was just fun talking to you. And, and if anybody's interested in coming up, we'll show you a good time. That's for sure. <laughs> all right, Terry. All right. Well, thanks all, for all the time today. And we'll, we'll catch up with you soon. Take it easy, Dave. Thanks a lot, bud. So there we go. There's some good stuff. Wetflyswing.com slash 356. 356 will get you some show notes, uh, get you uh, some links we talked about. And you can maybe see a photo of, of what this Merkel's camp looks like. Before we start to roll on out of here, I want to give a shout out today. Ryan, buddy, um, I'm going to give you a giant uh, like circle high five, high five, and then a leg slap high five. You know what I'm talking about? Ryan reached out on email and uh, said he loved uh, a recent Stillwater episode, had a couple questions from it, and uh, and I checked back with Ryan, and uh, it was just awesome to have a quick chat there. I hope, uh, Ryan, you're having a good time getting out there on the water. And uh, if you want to check in with me and uh, get a potential shout out here, you can reach me at Dave at wetflyswing.com or on social media. Just let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Here, see what you're doing, see what you have going and, uh, and see how we can help serve you through this podcast. We have a little trivia challenge. We got a little trivia, trivia challenge going with tokens. You can enter the trivia challenge and get a chance to win one of their hundred dollar fly tying packs at tokens. Check it out right now and, uh, and go see what they have going. Time to start rolling along here. I just got off a meeting um, with the team. We got a small little team here, um, Dom and Thea, and we had a nice chat about what we have going in this upcoming year, how we're going to keep serving uh, you better and uh, and keep doubling down on what we have going. So always, I like the open door policy, um, just like with everybody here on our little team. Uh, it's The door is wide open, so if you ever want to come into the office and, and check in with me, uh, kick your feet up on the table kick back in that chair and just uh you know maybe have a have a drink and uh, and, and pick my brain and i can pick your brain and we can, we can get ready and get that fishing trip um rolling i hope you're getting ready to go on a big fishing trip and i hope that maybe you can let me know you can check with me anytime online like i noted or um or maybe we can catch you on one of these trips we have coming up this year if you're interested in any of those um, we can do that so i hope you are having a good afternoon a good evening or a good morning wherever in the world you are. I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.